On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. Maybe a whole, we might be like President Anthony Weiner right now if it wasn't for like, if, if he could have undone, you know, pictures of his D. So Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether the new paid Twitter is worth the cost, how states are moving to limit how teachers can discuss race in their classrooms. And our guest this week is educator and co-founder of Together for Justice, Keturah Proctor. So school is out for you guys. Yes. We always have this discussion that's in yeah every in week. Ontario. You guys go a Three really more long time. Yes. So how, how, is it two more weeks? Three more weeks. Three so, more weeks. Wow. Um, my wife is done the 29th of June. Oh my lord! It goes right till the end of June. And that's basically. that's that's typical throughout Canada or just the province of Ontario. I believe that that is the same everywhere in Canada. Okay. Yeah, I believe that the school year is is everywhere in Canada is the same. Now, yeah, and then and then we're back the first um, day after Labor Day. Yeah. So, Labor Day is September whatever fourth, yeah, the third, first Monday, somewhere around Tuesday, there. The first Tuesday, the first Monday kind of is Labor yeah, Day, so, and then you guys go on Tuesday like we that's did. That's right. No? Yeah. Okay, Tuesday okay. after Labor Day. Okay. So. Um, but you, you know, sometimes must, sometimes yeah. you get lucky and that stretches into like like I think last year it was like September the 9th or 10th before mm, they started. That's true. Yes. Yeah, it was It was a good dope. year for that so, too. Right. So I'm not sure what it is this year, but mm. but you guys are you guys are done done like you don't have to do anything anymore. I'm done, man. Yeah, different all. people have different contracts, you know, depending upon what they are. Uh yeah. I mean all the teachers are done and I'm on a regular teaching contract. So um, on Friday, it was like, I'm out. I mean, Peace. there's there's still a lot of stuff that needed to be done. And we have a tech team, uh, for example, our director of technology, and we have some technology support. And my colleague, for example, she has a different contract, so it's a little bit extended. Um, but most of us, we were done. So, you know, Audrey on our on education team, she works in the same district that I do. And um, she She's works done in an elementary school and she was done. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. weird. Tomorrow's going to be an awesome day. Usually I clean today on Sundays and I didn't even clean today. I did some oh. stuff outside. I walked with Nicole. It's really, really hot here. So it's, uh, and then I did some stuff this morning, just like random things, garden things. Um, so it was awesome. Yeah. It's kind of, nice. I mean, it's, it's, school is officially out. So I, yeah, for those of you guys that are still going, you guys got this. <laughs> <laughs> three weeks just yeah. three weeks left <laughs> so you made it barely but you made it um yeah. yeah uh what are you what do you put the odds like so was school fairly normal for you yes. by the end in terms we had of a graduation like... mike it was weird and for the first time because of the governor's um 
we reached the specific threat. Yep, we reached a threshold that was set up by him. It was actually set up really smartly. Basically, if this number of people get vaccinated, um, then I will open up everything. Um, And it worked in our state. I know in many states that that's not the case, but in our states, you know, we're one of the highest in the nation as far as the percentage. And so it was weird because the kids, we still had a, the governor got on a call and and made this announcement and said, all, there is no, there's no mandates anymore uh, for, there's no uh, masking rules anymore for indoors. There's no, um, you know, uh, you have to stay a certain number of distance and there is no specific crowd sizes anymore. So it was a complete mm. like opening up. Well, we still had a few weeks of school left when this happened. So the Department of Education cleared up that there still was this law that was had been enacted and we were going to carry it through the end of the year. So you can imagine we were afraid that kids were like, yeah, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, but our kids, they followed suit. They did what they needed to go ahead and do. And on graduation, we weren't in the school building anymore. So we saw each other's faces kids teachers teachers for the first time this year it was the first time besides going outside you know kind of that side so that was amazing it was the first event that we've had of any kind with no social distancing necessary whatever might be and we had it in a hockey arena in a neighboring town and it was weird we were like handing getting tickets from people there was big crowds you know it's a graduation um and were they checking like was there any sort of like vaccine card or anything no. like that they were no. they i think it's just a, it's a you trust people to do what they're supposed mm. to do and and unfortunately you know ev- nobody's wearing a mask and now except people that do have still some some concerns as far as health concerns sure. um so there are some people that i have seen that do continue to wear masks especially out in crowds um i think that's going to be something that we're going to see uh, wild uh, for years to come uh, people will continue to do that uh, kind of like they do in uh, you know in china and in japan before all this happened there Wearing was a, a lot mask of people is like right? super normal in china normal it's very normal behavior. do it all the time yes all all over the place all yes. day every day there are tons of people that wear masks yeah. it is super normal um in china yeah. so um i i was um I was thinking it's funny um, about vaccination status because uh, there's been some articles come out. You know, we we had a bit of a we had a bit of a bump there um, early in the spring. Yes. Where where because we don't have any zero. When I, I say know. any, I mean zero manufacturing capability for vaccines at all. Mm. Which means that Canada has had Canada has bought more vaccines per capita than yeah. any country on earth. Wow. Um, you know, we've bought enough vaccinations to vaccine vaccinate every citizen five times over. Wow. Um, one of the other interesting things, so we've kind of turned a corner here. Um, one of the other things that's come up recently is that Canada might end up being, as a percentage of its citizenship, the most vaccined country in the world by the time we're done, hmm. um, which is pretty cool, too. I mean, we're pretty like, you know, when... The authorities say go do something we generally go do it sure uh you know we're, there's not we do we've had anti-vax protests uh, most people think those people are crazy um <laughs> and the the, and the the amount of people is pretty small as it relates hmm. to the population 
But I think we're they're expecting that we might get over 90% of Canadians vaccinated. Um, I think we're at like 60 something percent uh, have one First dose, dose. Yes. Um, right now because we're doing this like weird thing where we like are spreading out the the two doses a lot longer. Yeah. So that we can get everyone with one dose. So everyone has one dose. But now that we have so much vaccine um, supply, nice. um, Cheryl can actually now call tomorrow and get booked for her second appointment. Um, and then uh, uh, they expect I'll be able to get mine a few weeks later. And Isaac got his vaccine. Good. Um, so he's 12. Yep. So he's the, actually, actually, it's Isaac's birthday was yesterday. So mm. Isaac is 13, 13. now. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast, you know, with teenagers. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, it's, it's been nice to good. feel like we're moving in the, the right direction. Yeah, I sure. think next year for us, at least in Minnesota, I don't know about other states, we're going to be, it's going to, it actually feels like it's, unless something drastically happens, which something can, obviously. Yeah. You know, there's some yeah, kind yeah. of new strain, something weird. Uh, turn, there's a weird turn of events. Um, it's going to be, very normal we have zero plans to offer distance learning we have nothing we have nothing well, in place we were we are right. we're putting all of our our uh you know cards on all of our money on one thing it's called full back in person learning it's like dang um and it looks like it's gonna happen What's we'll crazy goes. <laughs> so we're recording so we're recording on a sunday mm -hmm. so we're recording this week's podcast on the last day of this week Mm. <laughs> which is funny but we're doing that for a reason and, and, and what's what's funny about us and like i'm sure that the adults that are listening people who are busy with kids and families yeah. can understand that like we have a set time that we do this it's it's yeah. monday nights at eight o'clock and if we don't do it monday nights at eight o'clock the rest of our schedule seems to go to hell like yeah. it's just awful trying to get like we've had to like you know, we've had to like just toss weeks out because we just can't find a way to make it work. It'd be a yeah. little bit easier now that the summer's here. Yes, but, for sure. But, time. but in general, it's been really difficult to find a time other than Monday. But the reason why we did not record on Monday, there was a couple reasons. Yeah. But 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 what were what'd you get into on Monday? <laughs> so I don't if you know me you know that I don't build anything. So in other words, I have no construction abilities or mechanical abilities, actually, to, for, to, Me neither. to be honest. So yeah. um, I know I, I know very little about a lot of things, and I'm paranoid about breaking many things. So anyway, Nicole, my wife, it was the end of the month was her birthday, and she had requested since last year. <laughs> so this has been... <laughs> two years of, of birthdays of requests and then finally i did it this year she wanted a swing for the backyard and she didn't want it for the kids this is like for her <laughs> this is something for her so um you know i had looked into some stuff last year during the COVID times and there was really wasn't a way to be able to do anything so kind of just ignored it but then this year i was like okay what would it take to be able to do this and uh, there was a welder who sells basically all these steel components to be able to put together your own swing set. 
and uh, they give you all the instructions. Um, they give you all of the giant pieces of steel <laughs> that are yeah, that are specific you... for this for this swing set, and then they yeah. give you all of the things you you need to go buy. Now. I looked at the thing and I looked at the pictures of everybody, you know, and then I saw a guy on there that, you know, how people comment and they showed their, their swing set of where it was at, you know, and he wrote something to the effect of, I built this in six hours, but I had, but I, I work in construction. So just so you have an idea about what you might be getting into here, there was a really amazing long thread that someone posted. um, And it was basically a blog post of their sequence of events of how they put together their swing uh, set. They had a specific thing in mind and it was awesome. But what was cool about it is that many of the posts are about how many times they screwed up. <laughs> so they, they told you about all the different screw ups and about different things that are going to happen and whatever might be. And yeah. all of those things happened to me. So it started on Friday. I bought all the materials. I went with my son and we bought all the things, uh, all the wood and the lumber and all the different things. And I was Including hoping that four, I, you bought four by fours. Yes. Four by four. Uh, they Oof. were 10 foot four by fours. Uh, <laughs> so big freaking posts. It's, it's That's what they are. Wood, yeah. You know, and then, uh, and so then I started working on it and doing all the different things. And these were super long days that I was working on this thing. And finally it was starting to come together. And on Monday, we had off because it was Memorial Day. And I was working from the morning till the afternoon, basically now assembling this giant monstrosity. And I was in the middle of the assembly process. And I looked at the time and and we were supposed to record, I think, around six-ish, my time. And it was like 5.45 and I was pouring sweat and I was out at things were still on sawhorses and whatever it might be. And I was like, I can't just leave this here. Um, I could, but it wasn't a good idea. Plus then I would have had to run in and then be like sweat fest and whatever. So I just, I, I ended up asking if we could reschedule. Um, but it ha- makes me have huge props and respect for people um, that are able to go ahead and do this type of stuff. So yeah. I, I put, I, I was talking to you before that. One of my pet peeves is when people say uh, the statements, uh, something to the effect of, um, "We built our house," you know, "We built our new house," and and the fact is, they chose all of the different components of their new house. They didn't build oh, anything. They didn't yeah. build crap. Someone <laughs> built all their stuff, but they say they built it. And the reason yeah. why it's a pet peeve of mine is because my dad is, was in construction his whole entire life and actually did build houses. There's several uh, still that are uh, still exist till today in California and in New Mexico. There's several houses that he actually he built from scratch. Um, but anyway, I have huge respect for people like my dad and anybody else that knows about anything because it is there's there's a lot. It's not just the labor parts but there's this there's all of this thinking that has to happen there was specific cutting of angles that they described in the thing and they made it look really easy it was not easy the the skill huh. of cutting things was not easy yeah. i had the tools i had different tools and i had all the things that i needed but my god it it's uh those anybody that does that kind of stuff you are amazing especially i mean people i know there's teachers too i know teachers uh, Stephen Rayo was one of the people. He does all kinds of different woodworking type of things just for fun and a kind of a side business. 
Um, and I, we know other people too that that, that build Brad. things. Yes, yes, yes. That build things and they create things and then they either sell them or they just build them for themselves. And it's like, whew, you are amazing. Just we try to that. we try to remind Isaac that he doesn't necessarily have to go to university, hmm. um, like to be successful. Um, that um, you know, trade school, like becoming yes. going and doing an apprenticeship and then becoming an electrician. Or a plumber. Yeah. Um, if you run your own plumbing business, Ooh, I mean, you awesome. make so much money. Yeah. Like we like, need you. No. Yeah. And <laughs> there are jobs that people don't generally don't think to do. No. But if you're a, like, if you go and get into carpentry, yeah, and then and then start your own carpentry business, yeah you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year legitimately yeah. it's a super um, skill super skills all of those man and and then you have more than a, a good income to you know um you know pursue your mm. passions outside of work oh for sure as well exactly and 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 it's it's you know i have a huge amount of respect for people that build stuff like that too i've mm. i've done a couple projects like we built our deck for our pool yeah. Um. And I, and I built most of that. I certainly planned it and had got my dad to come and help me and my father-in-law. Yeah. Um. Who fought the entire time? By the way, it was so funny <laughs> watching. Um, <laughs> um. But then you know, in doing like the shingling of our shed, I did. Mm. I did that last summer. Um. So you know, I I have a ton of respect for for people who do handiwork because I'm sure. not a handyman. Um. <laughs> We should, I don't know how much to say about this yet. Mm. And and I just kind of threw this in there, but but we're we're making some minor changes to the podcast. Um, and w we think the content, the actual podcast itself is in a really good spot in my yeah. mind. Like the, I, I think that we're still, we're still talking about what we want to talk about. We're having fun doing it. Um, it's been really hard on us because we get a lot of our energy for the podcast from being together yeah. you know three or four times a year um and i think both of us really miss that and yeah. and um but you know we got some changes in coming so all i can say to that is if you're listening stay tuned um and 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 uh we we're gonna be making some pretty big announcements um very soon one of nice. them is ready to announce even though i'm not going to say it right yet um <laughs> and then there's probably a couple more coming uh Good. so so there's lots going on here in on yeah. education bill town <laughs> whatever um and and i think it's gonna i think it's gonna be great hmm. uh so twitter blue came out <laughs> in in canada and i believe yeah. australia this week okay um twitter blue twitter blue twitter okay. blue is a paid Ooh. twitter subscription okay um it is i think it's like 3.95 a month canadian okay so somewhere around three $3. bucks a month yeah. yeah three bucks a month or so us 2.95 maybe they'll make it so okay. what does it give you so you get to not much to be fair i was actually <laughs> i was actually writing in our company and participates company slack imagine imagine being so popular mm. that you could charge people for basic functionality 
and that people would pay money for it. Yeah. <laughs> and they will make, I guarantee you, they'll make three or four hundred million dollars oh, yeah. a year from this. There, I guarantee you there are 10 million people that will pay for this. For sure. They have, they have hundreds of millions of users. I guarantee you there are 10 million people that will and I'm one of them, so whatever. <laughs> there you um, go. So let me, let me tell so you what you get. You get, you yeah, get yeah. the bookmark folders. So this yeah. is a way to organize saved content. You um, organize tweets um, and uh, manage them so that when you need it, you can find it. It's, it's, in, nice. a, it's in its own bookmarked folder. So this would be good if you keep say if you save a lot of tweets first off, which I don't. Um, other people's tweets. I I know a lot of people do that though. Right. They, they bookmark and, a lot of things. And you wanted to like organize them into folders. Hmm. Um, you can do that. So um, the second thing is called reader mode. So I actually think this is kind of it's kind of nice. It, it works pretty well. Reader mode uh, allows you to read Twitter threads um, by it puts them all into one view. So if someone writes a nine page, nine tweet thread, you know how like people will respond in the middle of them and and whatever. Um, When you click every time it identifies that there's a thread, a little icon appears in the top right hand corner says to activate reader mode you click on that and it turns that thread into like a readable page mm. so cool. and then when you scroll down to the bottom um so you've done re- you're done reading the thread um there's a button at the bottom that says exit reader mode so that's that's nice. reader mode nice and then here's the <laughs> so that the last one is the funniest one because it's the one people have been asking for in some form <laughs> Or another since Twitter started, yep. and now they're going to make you pay for basically what every content editing thing does just just gives you, mm. and that's you 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 now have the ability to undo a tweet, and oh. and and this works almost exactly like the Google Gmail undo. Like you can recall an email. Did yeah. you know that you can do that? Yes. So you can, yes. if you're in the Gmail interface, you can send an email and then you can set it to a certain amount of time. I think up to 15 seconds where you can go, oh crap. And you can click on recall and it will not, they will not see the email. So you have 15 seconds to pull it yeah, back. It brings it back. Um, and, and undo and change mm. it or resend it or fix who you sent it to or whatever nonsense. If you put everybody in, in, um cc or something if you replied all instead of just hitting reply you can recall it um in this case you can get up to 30 seconds where um you can undo the tweet so what it does is it actually does it what what's interesting is that it doesn't send it for 30 seconds so it's not like it, it it puts it in a queue to send and then sends and then um and then brings it back it, yeah. it it waits for thirty seconds for you. A thirty second time period to. There's a thirty second countdown on on sending your tweet. Yeah. Um, up to thirty seconds. So I think the intervals are ten. I think it's fifteen, twenty, and then thirty, um, where you can set it up to thirty seconds. So you can hit undo, can fix your spelling mistake, put in your could, Oxford comma if you. Yeah. Can feel you so inclined? Can you edit a tweet or no? 
No. So if you hit undo, it brings you back to the text editor, to like the tweet. Sure. That you've but, just so it doesn't but delete you, but it. If, but if it posted it, can you no, can you, you do an still... edit like you can on Facebook? No. You know what I mean? No. No, you can't edit. No, no. you still can't edit a tweet <laughs> that you've already posted and that you haven't undone. I got um, it. so you I have thirty seconds to check your tweet and make sure you got it right after you've pressed send. If you were a business um, and you were running the promo for a specific business, um, you run social media for them, you would want this, obviously. You want to have the ability. Sure. You post it. You take a quick look. You're like, oh, God. Ew, yeah, I can bring that back. Politicians. It happens so easily. You know, on emails mm -hmm. or whatever. There's a spelling mistake or whatever it might be. Um, that that would be cool to be able to bring it back. Or that one thing that I always talk about where you tweet enraged tweets because you're mad and then in 10 seconds after you send it you're like i shouldn't have sent that because now that was not a good idea yeah this would and be that's like... happened to me many times and i wasn't i didn't recall <laughs> I yeah didn't get to recall them yeah yeah this is like like if if the anthony wiener wishes this was around yes you know you know five years ago or ten years ago <laughs> <laughs> For so sure, he, for sure he does. Maybe a whole we might be like President Anthony Weiner right now if it wasn't for like if if he could have undone you know pictures of his D. So imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to imagine that. Let, Brutal. So <laughs> is it worth it? Sure, maybe. I mean, it's. Okay. I think it's at one of those price points where you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. And that's also probably what they've done, right? They've set it up with your um, iPhone. You it just subscribes through like your Apple account, your 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 App Store. Yeah, um, it's an App Store subscription. You don't even notice it, right? It's like three ninety five. Yeah. So um, it might be one of those things where, and for like you said, like a company or a politician, it's probably sure. worth it for sure. Hundred percent. Yes. So. Um, it's funny that you 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 linked this article um, about whether um, uh, to limit how public school teachers can discuss race in their classroom mm -hmm. classrooms. Because I just saw it's funny you you can talk about this in a, a second. I just saw an article today this afternoon yeah. about a a boy um, graduating from high school and uh, uh, draped over his shoulders was a Mexican flag. Oh, this happened okay. in North Carolina. Had a Mexican flag draped over his shoulders. Okay. <laughs> and he was denied his diploma on the no. stage at the graduation because he had a Mexican flag wrapped over his shoulders. Uh, How's that one strike you? Uh, isn't that so many? Isn't, isn't there's so many ridiculous something? things. Yes. That's so many different things that are just so dumb this also relates to i think a conversation that we were having in our in our dm group about um stupid dress code policies mm, just different mm -hmm. things that we do that we fight these fights that honestly they don't need to be fought they're they're <laughs> that that's that's a kid expressing themselves on on the on, on really a one of the greatest culminating days of their lives so yeah. that's a that's a fantastic thing, and if the kid wants that, I mean, if you do something vulgar, 
You know what I mean? Or you're doing something demeaning or something, whatever might be. Oh, of course, yeah, we're not going to allow you to do X, you know, whatever might be. If you're, if you're wearing something that promotes, for example, alcohol or drugs or whatever might be, you probably would be like, no, you can't really do that. Where, you know, you're pushing the boundaries. This is, this and like, I read a thing about some, some person with nose rings, uh, about the clothes that someone was wearing, uh, dress shoes. A kid was wearing tennis shoes instead of dress shoes, and they were were gonna allow him on the stage. The teacher, a teacher saw that happen, took off their shoes, and gave them to the kid. The kid put on his shoes and was allowed to go in and get his diploma. I, I mean, obviously, teachers do those kind of things. This is just disgusting that this is even the case. And there's some people who argue who are arguing for the continuance of these types of things, these kind of compliance things. I'm sorry, but the work world along with the school world, along with our world in general, has changed a lot. And there's a lot of things now, Mike, I think that are normalized now. So for example, this tattoo that I have on my forearm, back in the day, let's say even 15, especially 20 years ago, and even for worse, you know, as the farther you go back, if you were wearing it, if you had a tattoo, that was like a symbol that you were a criminal, a you gang a member, person. a bad person of some yeah, sort, yeah, yeah. or trashy or something, yeah. whatever it might be. Something was wrong with you. Um, which is, of course, we all know that's not the case. That was just like, that's like part of the things. But cultural norms have definitely shifted on a bunch of these things. And you know mm-hmm. what? That, that's good. People, yeah. we are, sure, we're all humans, but you know what? We're allowed to express ourselves in a variety of different ways. And fantastic. That thank God we are we're allowed to go ahead and do those types of things. In this case, these kids are are leaving the school. They are uh, th- all these kids are wearing the outfit that needs to be worn for the ceremony. If you want to personalize it somehow, that should be it's okay. But we fight these fights that are just so stupid. But and it's part of a larger conversation, which yes. is what this article is about. This idea Absolutely. that um, you know. I think it's crazy that the conversation is even happening, you know, in the sense that we would be opposed to, for example, teaching about the the Tulsa massacre, yes. Yes. right? Like, as if you would be opposed to that or want to frame it a certain way that made it look better than it is, which is, you know, know. Uh, a bloody murder of hundreds of people, you know, without <laughs> cause. And again, the 1619 Project, which has come up a couple times in a couple episodes recently. You know, history is replete with bad actors. Yes. And evil people and terrible situations. And um, to conflate being proud of your country and where you live and what you do for a living and the people that you you know, you, the community that you um, um, are with, um, with, you know, talking honestly about what um, has happened in your yes. country and and how you're going to discuss it. Um, it's, you know, you can't confuse those two things. They don't, mm. you know, me telling you that, for example, John A. McDonald the first prime minister of Canada was a raging alcoholic and um, prone to fighting people 
other politicians and was a massive, incredibly massive racist. Mm. Me saying and acknowledging that does not make me less proud to be a Canadian. No. It just means that I'm honest about what our past is like. Yeah. And you guys are having the same conversations down there, or at least trying to, but we have people limiting those yeah. conversations or forcing them to not happen at all, right? Yeah, and in specific states, uh, Georgia yeah. is in the news right now again, but Texas is a huge one. Uh, there's a legislation that I think is just waiting for the governor to sign. And what it and the reason why Texas is so important is not only is it a gigantic state with you know hundreds of millions of people that live there, but it's also one of the things that impacts the textbook market the most. It's it has a gigantic obviously school population, but it has a lot of pull and leverage. And basically what it says, this legislation is it, it's not only going to ban critical race theory, but it's also going to minimize references to slavery and anti-Mexican dis discrimination. <laughs> it's freaking mind boggling that we can't just be honest about things that we still have to slant the truth to soften it for who for the people in power yeah that's exactly what it is for the people in power for people that are white and rich and want to continue to hold that power and tell a specific narrative that just isn't completely true it's a it, it is it it many of it is definitely leaving out some really important facts and how we marginalize and marginalized past tense and then continue to do so many uh, people in our country and how there's a long history of it. And it's like, that has nothing to do with political movements or whatever it might be. It may be connected to something, but here's just the thing. It's like, you need to tell the truth. And, and this is what you do as a teacher, you tell the truth and then you discuss like, how is that how does that affect us right now? And really that's the biggest thing is like what kids can think through the events that are currently happening and then be told exactly what happened as far as in the past. Um, and with the, with state by state legislation uh, being the way it is, Mike, it, it, it basically the way that history is told in the United States is going to vary one, like hundred percent from state to state. You're going to be told different things depending upon where you end up growing up, which is uh, it just freaking blows my mind away. And I'm just, it's a, just another thing. And that is just what we're, as we talk about this in many of the episodes as far as the podcast, I just, I wonder, is there ever an end? You know, are we, are we going to be able to make headway on this? Because many times we just get we get blocked off and, yeah. and nope we're not, we're not going to make any headway here we're going to pass laws that don't even allow you to talk about that. It is pretty crazy and and I think that the the mark the sign of a, a country that um, is willing to face their own demons is 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 also a country where the people are proud of it. Yeah. Um, for and sure. and it doesn't diminish you wanting to be Canadian or American or British or 
Spanish or Mexican or whatever to admit the failings of the people who have come before us, you have to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're facing Canada. We're facing some really tough conversations right now with, you know, residential schools. Mm. And, you know, Canada has our we have our own demons in our own closets yeah. and um, we're starting to face them. And in fact, um, uh, one of the things that's happening um, that just a law just got passed just this week where we are um we will have a new national statutory holiday mm. on september 30th um it is a a day to um remember uh what canadians uh what canada did to indigenous uh first nations people in the country mm. um you know we um are you know and i think it's a great sign that we're taking this seriously yeah and that there's still tons of work to do um, but this is uh, a great way to start. So maybe so, maybe we can learn from you guys. <laughs> well, we can only I think we all need to learn. Be with. I mean, I think <laughs> that the first step is just being willing to learn for sure. Uh, and and then moving forward. Absolutely. Um, speaking of moving forward, uh, we have a great guest, and when we come back, we'll be speaking to Katura Proctor. So stay with us. We are building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators, bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is a sixth grade math and English language arts teacher in the Elmsburg Union Free School District. She's a former graduate and current resident of the school district in which she teaches. This unique perspective has afforded her the opportunity to forge authentic relationships with the students, parents, and community that she serves. She is the co-founder of the Community Action Alliance, which is an organization dedicated to serving students in the Elmsford Union Free School District whose families were directly impacted by COVID-19. She's also the founder, the co-founder of Together for Justice. This group harnesses the power of community members to speak out against instances of social justice, bias, and racism, Welcome to the podcast, Ketura Proctor. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. This is great. It's great to have you. So, Ketura, you teach and live in the same area you grew up in, and I I find that fascinating. Um, it, it must give you a, a, a unique perspective on the community, how it's changed, how it stayed the same over time. Um, I remember, it's a funny story, I remember when I was student teaching and my, my teacher my teacher mentor, 
who uh, she lived in the same area she taught in. Um, and she doesn't do the grocery shopping because because it would sometimes take her hours to do the grocery shopping because she would get spotted by families from the school and end up talking in the grocery store for hours because um, she can't she couldn't feel like she could just you know I gotta go I gotta go get my carrots now. Um, I, I always thought it was pretty funny. Um, so she sends her husband off to do the grocery shopping. Um, I'd, I'd love to know what you like and dislike about learning and living and now working all in the same region. Um, do you do your own grocery shopping um, and get caught in the store talking? Um, and I um, imagine this gives you a great opportunity to have really deep, meaningful connections with uh, your community. That's a great question. And I absolutely do my own grocery shopping. Um, (laughs) um, That's actually hilarious. Yes, I actually do. I do my own banking. I go to the car wash. Um, But I have to say it's truly an honor to be a part of my of of my community. Um, When I was leaving undergrad, um, one of my professors says, you have to leave. It's time for you to leave. Spread your wings. Go somewhere else. And I was like, no, I'm going home. And mm. that meant so much for me because my community is really small. We're a small village. And the idea of everyone knowing who you are and your last name, that matters. That still matters here. And to be able to forge relationships with families has been so rewarding it's been absolutely positive experience. I've had not had one negative experience. And I think it's what actually sets me apart from some of the other teachers in my district um, to be able to um, live and work. My own daughter also goes to the same school district. She's graduating this year. There is an immense amount of pride and family and, and mm. again, community that, you know, is really hard to replicate. So I looked at it as my obligation to go back um, and to be part of this wonderful place that gave me so much. And I felt like it was my responsibility to do the same thing um, for the students who were would be coming up. So I've been a teacher here for this is ending year 21. And I wow. have been able to see students who now have their own children who are cycling through the district. And there's nothing but tremendous pride and um you know, humility that goes along with that. Um, It also positions me in a space that sometimes is awkward because I, the students are my neighbors. They actually are my neighbors. Like we, like I have a student right now lives next door to me and they're my neighbors and that's absolutely okay. Because I think when you get to the root of, of really what education is and should be, it's collaborative, it's community. And if we're so forced and focused on putting this distance and dividing line between teachers and families, then we're only saying that matters when we go into the school building, but it matters all throughout. Our lives are more than just the school building. And so if you look at it through that lens, then you're not really being authentic to the work. I feel that if you really, really believe in your community, you have to love your community. You have to love the district that you're in. You have to love those students so much so that I'm also saying I'm a part of you in this. And so there's ownership there. Um, Many years ago, there were a number of teachers who lived in the community. And that was a beautiful feeling because on every street, 
there was someone from school. And so no more was there the divide between home and school. It was, we're all in this together. And so when we go to school, we go, I go to work. It's not just, I'm going to work. I'm going to see you in a couple minutes. Okay, I'll see you in a few. I've had parents knock on my door and say, hey, can you help with number four? And there are times where I'm like, no, because I got to help my own kid with number four. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, I'll give you a couple minutes, you know. And so parents have been nothing but, you know, tremendously respectful. I hear students when there's, you know, it's, you know, the weather's outside and they're like, Ms. Proctor, can we, can we shovel for you? Can we, I, there's nothing more than, than just a lot of humility um, to be able to still be here and um, have the community really be uh, work in tandem with me. And so when things happen and when we struggle as a school district and when we struggle as a community, we're doing this work together. And when things happen, we, we work together. And I think if we're, if we're asking teachers to develop relationships in our classrooms, then we absolutely need to be making sure that we're developing those same authentic relationships outside of the classroom. Um, we should not be putting barriers, especially at this point. So being in this community as long as you have, you've seen it change in the terms of the way it handles race and history and social justice. Maybe take some time to talk about your work with Together for Justice and how you've been able to take those deep community relationships you were just talking about and turn them into something productive in terms of speaking out on the issues of marginalization uh, that continue to plague many communities in the United States. Absolutely. So I'll just give you so you can picture it in your head. My community is separated um, by a main street. And that at one point was the, it separated our town, our village um, racially. And yeah. there was um, very much uh, a white side and a black side. However, the funny part is that usually the South side is like the black side, like in most communities, like, oh, on the South side, ours happens to be the North side. So that's like the funny part of it. Like, oh, we live on the North side. Um, but, you know, we, we still have this huge, this actual line that's a separation line. And I, I'm a product of my school district, my family as well. And so when we hear stories way back, everyone at school would be great friends at school, right? Everyone's wonderful, great, gets along, and then goes home to their respective sides. And so just think about what does that actually foster? That, that's like re, re, reinforcing like, yeah, we're great here together, but then we leave and we go to our respective sides. So there's that. Over time, yeah, you're right. We have had um, a lot of integration and things have changed demographically, um, you know, racially, demographically, we, you know, things have changed over time, but that line still persists. And so you can see even by socioeconomic status, the side where the folks of color primarily live much lower than the other side. And that's really interesting. I happen to live on the side where the folks of color live. Um, and people have asked all the time, how come you don't move? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm never moving because that's where that's where I'm centered. Um, so yeah, we definitely have seen um, a lot of change there. My work in the community and my work in the district really has always been to be the voice. Um, sometimes it's the other voice, you know, people are, I'm always in the one who in a meeting will probably be the dissenter and say no. <laughs> so no, that doesn't work for everybody. So how can we fix that? What can we do about that? And to elevate the voices of of the families and the students who ultimately just want their students to have a great experience at school and send their school, their children to school to, with nothing but trust 
and really hope that they're getting the best experience. Um, and so sometimes we've had struggles in that area, right? Especially um, racially with tensions and politically the world is changing and things are changing the landscape. Landscape. Um, so what the the goal was for uh, Together for Justice and some of the other work that we've been doing is to um, give people in the community the, the resources, the tools, the vocabulary, the language, the background um, to be able to be more informed and to make decisions that are best for their children um, and to be able to advocate for their children in a way where they're not tagged as the complainers or the crazy parents, but really in a way where their concerns are being heard because they are real concerns. And so that has obviously, you know, I'm an employee of the district, but I also live here and I'm also, you know, ingrained in the community that definitely can put you in a tough spot. Um, and again, myself, my daughter is also a product of that district as well. So there are moments where we've had tense moments and you've had to kind of be, you know, courageous and step out and say, wait a second, this isn't working and I'm not okay with it. And once you do that, you realize that the community will stand with you and beside you. And I think that that's definitely really important. Um, so in terms of the actual changes, we've seen um, com uh, communities um, or students who are moving um, from more urban areas and they're moving further north. Um, but then that gives you sort of a, a population that's transient, that they're not rooted here and they just come and go. Um, we've seen a lot of students who are um, coming from other countries. Um, more recently, we've seen students from um, who were detained at the border, and now they are headed our way. And so there, there are huge shifts here. In addition to that, we still have our you know stronghold families who've been here for gener for year for decades, you know, since 1940, and so they're rooted. And there's there is this. You're trying to create some sort of harmony here by saying we all belong, right? And where's the space for everyone? And that was the work with the Community Action Alliance where we realized in COVID there was a certain group of, of, um, of students who were really struggling. Families were really struggling um, and they needed a lot of help. And so, again, I guess when you take a look at education and what really is the purpose, it's more than your classroom. It's more than textbook. It's more than curriculum. Um, it really is elevating the voices of those who are helping to empower those who, ne who don't necessarily know where to start, um, but need to also have voice. Um, and it also is taking a look and, 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 and examining ourselves and having really reflective conversations inward and looking inward. And so, you know, even with um, last year with the murder of George Floyd, we were all home. And it was very troublesome because students were home and they were watching the video over and over and over and over and over on television. And the community, we, you could feel it, it was palatable, it was tense and you could feel things were not okay and we needed to do something. We, um, you know, in turn organized the Rally for Justice. We had over 300 folks there. It was a beautiful event. Um, students came out. There was that was how I met some of my my students from this year. They're like, I saw you at that rally. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, but it was necessary, and not everyone felt comfortable doing that. You know, it was almost as if should should we should we do this? Should is is our village ready to handle this? Should we rock the boat? There's all of these you know questions, and I'm like, we absolutely should. Why would we not? 
because this is really what we need to, 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 we need to do this. We need to outwardly say, this is definitely not okay. So when you talk about um, racial tension and, and that actually was like, almost like the precipice of what was to come because after that, so many other things, you know, um, happened. Um, our students are asking for this to, to be front and center. They're saying, yeah, we're going to continue to talk about this and we want it everywhere. We want it in our village. We want it in our schools. We want this to be um, part of who we are. So um, that work has been really, really important to me. And again, also in the, in the region, um, that's something that we're starting to see. It's amazing. Um, you know, there's a, a strange confluence of like coincidences happening here. Um, in the first part of the podcast that, that people just listened to, Glenn and I were talking uh, about um, critical race theory and about um, um, people trying to fight back um, against yeah. teaching it for, for whatever reason. And um, and you have a, a book on the back of your, your bookshelf that literally says critical race theory on it. And I happen to not know exactly where Elmsford was. So while you were talking, I was looking it up. And I mean, Elmsford is in New York, like and like the New York-ish part of New York. And, uh, you know, saying that as Canadian as I can, you know, I don't know where the hell New York ends and the rest of it begins. But... The point is that, like, a lot of people, and to be honest, including myself, wouldn't have, like, we knew that there was, you know, slavery was generally everywhere, especially early on, um, and racism is everywhere. You know, this is the Northeast United States, and there was a North Side and a South Side of Elmsford freaking New York. And that is amazing to me, like, and terrible, uh, because I think that students aren't being served properly if they don't realize, if they don't think about the fact, like, because I think even now we associate the Northeast, you know, and the West Coast as, you know, liberal, enlightened um, you know, and, and, um, progressive, you know, is a great word to use. And the fact is, is that there is a history of racism everywhere. And there is a history of slavery everywhere, including 20 minutes North of Manhattan. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm like taking notes as I'm listening to you talk because oh, I don't want to miss anything. So you are spot on. Um, you are spot on. So even here, 20 minutes north of New York City, the you know famed New York City, um, we still encounter racism. And so to your point, you know, I saw I saw something on one of the social media social media posts, and it was saying um, that it's not the shark, it's the water. Um, and it was specifically talking about white supremacy culture, which we could unpack as well. Um, but it's everything. It's embedded in every institution. It's embedded in every practice. So when people think about racism, they really just think about interpersonal exchanges, you know, like, oh, so, you know, you said something to me that was not that wasn't OK. You're racist. Oh, my gosh. OK, so there's that. But there is so much more than that. It is actually ingrained into all of our institutions. It's, it's legally like it's present. It's everywhere. It's a part of the fabric of the United States. 
the end. And there is so much pushback from folks who have never even opened this text <laughs> to know what is inside of it. And I have to be really honest, if you've read the entire piece, like kudos to you because I haven't even gotten through a third of it. It is that dense. And it really talks about not the interpersonal pieces, not the, the individual pieces, but it talks about the structural pieces and the systematic pieces of, of racism that are that have framed our experiences here in the United States. And so it's I, sometimes when I see these posts and now we're seeing legislation actually being enacted to counteract, like don't even mention race in classrooms, I think it's so ridiculous, number one, because critical race theory is, is usually something that's taught, talked about in higher ed. So when you get to, you know, undergraduate and, you know, institutions and colleges and universities, then you might hear that um, and beyond. So the fact that we're, we're talking about elementary students saying no critical race theory, like that's a joke because that's laughable. So one, that makes no sense because you've never read it, number one. Number two, how dare you say that your existence here, listen, everyone here, your existence really doesn't matter. We're just going to protect our feelings because we don't want to talk about anything that's uncomfortable. So that's what we're yeah. going to do. We're going to make laws that actually say that we're going to do this. That in and of itself, like, I know it's real, but I can't even believe that it's real because it makes no sense when you really break it apart, you know? And so, right. So there's that. In New York State, um, we happen to be fortunate where the New York State Board of Regents um, have has actually come out with um, some guidance that's been very, very much the antithesis of no critical race theory. Uh, the New York State Board of Regents came out with initially their call to action. That was in April of this year. And the language in that document is beautiful because it literally says, <laughs> we realize that we have some issues here and we are going to attack them head on and we realize that racism is real and bias is real. And they cite actual instances. They talk about COVID. They talk about police brutality. They talk about, you know, discrimination based on sex. I'm, they went really, they went in. And I was like, wow, this came from New York State, the Board of Regents, like, whoa. And then the following month, they adopted an equity policy. And the, the urgency, the, the suggestion was all school districts need to get on board. And that in and of itself is wonderful because it provides district leaders now with their why. This is why you need to do this. This is why it's important. And so it happens to be that while the, some of the states in the country are like, absolutely not, New York State is like, oh no, absolutely yes. And so very fortunate to be in this location. But when I see, I have another friend who was a school leader in Tennessee and she's like, I think we have to relocate because I can't work here and not at all address what's real life. How can we not embed this into what we're doing? And I think people feel, you know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you're teaching, you know, a perspective or you're teaching a certain side and that's not fair. But what's not fair? Because we're, we're telling someone's experience, we're telling the experience of a group of people why would that be unfair? And so I think it comes back to this whole idea of not wanting to be uncomfortable and protecting our privilege and, and hiding behind that so much so that we're enacting legislation so we don't even have to address it. And like, that's just, if I don't know what white supremacy culture is, there you go. I mean, like, do you really need to say anything else? I mean, like, boom, there it is right there. Um, and even in that, you know, we use this term, I use that term often, and even in the work that I do in my district, and we had to unpack that because when you talk, when you say white supremacy, instantly 
you know, you have images of like, you know, very right wing and violence and things like that. I'm like, no, I'm talking about like everyday stuff. It's part of the culture, y'all. It's just what it is. And so that in and of itself, unlearning is just as important as the learning piece. And I think where I am right now is centered on the unlearning. We all went to elementary school. We learned about Christopher Columbus and we, we there all of that stuff is ingrained in us. Even those who with the best of intentions are like, I reject all of that crap, it's still in us. And so we actively have to unlearn the stuff that was put into us all 100%. of these years, all of these years. Awesome. I talk a lot, shockingly, you know, because I'm, you know, a, a white Canadian dude. Um, but I'm obsessed with this, I, the the concept of redlining. And, and, and I know that Elmsford was like, that's that, that idea of like a north side and a south side and, you know, property values and stuff like that. It's people need to get into this stuff because I, I, I know it's in the weeds a little bit about critical race theory, but you will find as you learn about redlining in particular, how like ingrained sy systemic racism is in just in where you live and why your home is where it is and why, um, you know, other people's homes are where they live. It's, it's a, it's an astonishing legacy of, of, you know, um, racism in the United States, this, this idea of redlining. Um, that I'm absolutely um, fascinated with, and we get we get to talk about it on the podcast um, every once in a while because uh, it's important. Um, but I want to I want to turn our focus now, I guess, to the pandemic from your unique perspective as a as a longtime community member. Um, you know, neighbors. You said you know teaching your neighbors, teaching you know kids down the street. It, it must be tough to see your neighborhoods. Um, struggle under this the weight of you know jobs and and health and everything. Um, can you talk a bit about the Community Action Alliance and what you're doing to help the people of your district get by during uh, this time? Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. It was very difficult to see. Um, we I knew the the internal struggles that I was facing, you know, as you know, with my own family and family members. And I have, you know, obviously a, a, a group of friends at work who who always go above and beyond, you know, the workday to support families. And when we were text and talk, we realized that we were helping folks a lot. And it, it was beyond, hey, you know, can you get some school supplies for us? It was, can you give us groceries for two weeks? Because we don't have any money here. Um, and <laughs> the food pantries and things were the, the, the surplus was low. And so, you know, you would go to a pantry, but there would be no protein. Or you would go to a pantry and it would only be canned things. So if you have three kids, what do you do with just your cans, right? And so we, we started talking and realizing like, wait, we're working in silos. That's ridiculous. Let's do this together. And so that's how Community Action Alliance was, um, was, was founded. It was out of straight need for our students and their families. And it came about really organically because we knew individuals who did not have. We knew of individuals who lost their jobs. We knew of moms who had just had babies and then there was no income. And now we're all home. So then what? 
So how is it that I'm asking you to sign on to class virtually? But I also know at home you have very, very little to sustain you. And so that's where we that's where our work started. We also wanted this to be a resource where families could receive legal help and help with employment and other and other things, because there is another organization in a couple towns over. But you'd have to be able to get there to to access the resources. And if you don't have that option, then what? So our work really started with gathering donations. Um, People were very generous, however they could be. And what we did was we went grocery shopping and we started with 12 families. We now have over 50 families. And these are families that really are in tremendous need. So we would go to a wholesale club and we would actually go grocery shopping and then deliver. And to see the faces and to see the students who would, you know, we were all masked up really at that time. We would just leave it on the step and ring the doorbell and stand by the car and just wave. Um, the students would come out and they couldn't even carry the bag because it was so heavy with resources. Um, and then we would get the text messages. Thank you. Thank you, miss. Thank you, miss. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I have two weeks. Like we, it, it was, it was astonishing to see that in just a moment of time that things could change so drastically for folks. We also had families who experienced death where the primary, you know, um, income provider is no longer alive. They passed away. So then what happens? What happens then? So we were able to make sure that not, you know, in that moment that the families had what they needed financially, but that meant your kaned, your lights, your, your, your electric, like, is that going to get shut off? If you needed to only, if your only source of communication was your cell phone, how do you manage that when you're then managing the expenses of death? And remember with COVID, we couldn't even bury people or cremate people for a long period of time because that took a long time. So there were so many issues and there was a lot of trauma embedded in that. Um, and it was, it was difficult for us too, because we kept getting, the bad calls, you know, like there was always something happening. So the Community Action Alliance, thank, you know, thank goodness for the people who were the organizers and all the volunteers, because we came together to really support our family. So that work happened all, you know, last year and all throughout this school year. Um, And we worked alongside the mobile food pantry. And again, when there were resources enough extra, we were able to bag and whatever, but otherwise we were at the wholesale club and we were packing it up and delivering to students ourselves. And we did that throughout the summer because again, there was that issue too with no school, no summer, no camp, nothing. Kids are home and they had no food. And that was real life had no food. Pictures of empty refrigerators, um, families who were eating just beans because there was nothing, right? And so, again, being able to be connected to your community, to be able to be trusted enough and welcomed enough by the folks in your community to say, hey, can you help me, um, is a big deal. And that's why I think, you know, going back to the original question, being part of this community more so than just an employee matters so much more because there's so much that we did in partnership with each other. And I think that's, that is what education is. That's what it is to me. Um, it be, it's beyond a textbook. It's beyond a classroom. And if you are working somewhere and you love your students, then you get all in with them no matter what. And that's what we, that's what we did. We were all in. It's important also that we talk about 
what school leaders and teachers should be thinking about as they plan for the reopening of the buildings for the 21-22 school year? And how would you advise school leaders and teachers as they prepare for a school year that it's certainly not going to be the same uh, uh, as as this year, the 2020-21 year? It is, it's definitely not the same as it was previously in 2018 and 2019. What should we do as far as when we get back? Because I have heard teachers say and say this audibly. I just want to get back to when it was normal. And it's and so much has happened in these years. And it has to do partially with the pandemic. But it also has to do with much more than that. Uh, you were just mentioned George Floyd. And and it's kind of like our eyes have have really come open for many of us. And, and, and things are staring us in the face and many people many educators are are vocally stating i don't want to look at that. i want to look i want it to be back where it was what are some things that you can advise for example leaders are are struggling how you know what are what are the best steps what are some things that you should do as far as even kicking off the school year this next year so that's a great that's a great question i almost wanted to say did you read my facebook post the other day cuz i blasted that on my post on my news feed um so I wrote, you know, asterisk, asterisk, you know, frustration. I cannot believe we are talking about going back to what was. That is so ridiculous. It was a long post. I, yeah, I was frustrated. Um, so no, we don't go back. And the, the urge to go back, again, centers around the comfort of the teachers but it does not at all speak to being responsive to where we know we need to be and what our kids need. And so the idea or the notion to even return back to normal is absolutely upsetting when I hear it. It actually makes me really angry because I'm like, wait, hey, we just went through an entire thing, a real life for real thing. Half a million people are dead. Mad people like, or the families are destroyed. And you want to go back to what? Okay, so there's that. And then we already know that what existed before did not work for all. So when I hear people say, well, it's for all students, I'm like, so that didn't work before for all students. So why would that even be something that we're holding so close to us? I always say, like, you need to let go of what was and begin to create what will be. And if you're not in that, then what are you actually doing? You are doing nothing but continuing to marginalize and oppress groups of students. And we've already said, well, we love our students. We love everyone. You, you don't if you feel like going back is where we need to start. And so I think really what you know, school leaders and district leaders, really building leaders and district leaders really need to start thinking about is what will look different. If you're committed to not going back to the way things are, then what will look differently? What's going to change in your building? How is that going to change? What will be the evidence of that change? If you can't articulate that, then it didn't go back, then you're not changing anything. So yeah, we, for example, in our district, we have an equity policy. Great. So we have an equity, we have an equity policy. Perfect. What's changing? So we have this document. What's changing, right? We're going to come back in September. What will look different for students? Is the learning going to be more authentic? Am I going to see representation of brown and black folks in the curriculum? No. Then what? It, then what did we do? So we. This is this is this is an opportunity to really, really 
start over. We cannot continue to take like old systems and old practices and continue to retool them when we know that they don't, that doesn't work. So are we letting go of like the strict, stringent, like assessment testing? We should, because guess what? Here in New York State, we didn't test kids last year. And guess what? They're fine. I don't have my 338 <laughs> data. I don't have data from the 338 test. And guess what? That was okay. I'm good with that. And the walls will not come crashing down. No, they won't. And so <laughs> I think it's okay to really think, you know, when 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 you're in teacher prep school, like if you could build your old school, what would it look like? What would it be? What would it be? We don't, if we could say, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. That didn't work for us before. Be courageous, be brave enough to say, this is a no for us, y'all. And then really take a look at your students and see if they're represented in, in, in the fabric of the school. Because if we're just holding on to status quo, then who was that actually serving? No one but the adults, because it was routine and was comfortable, but that didn't serve students. And so I think student voice should be at the very center of what we're doing. Hey, y'all, what should change? Because they'll tell you. Hey, families, what should change? They'll tell you. And it's our jobs to be responsive to our communities. It's not the other way around. They don't need to fit us. We need to fit them. And we need to be flexible and fluid and malleable because guess what? It's an entire community. And if you're so fixed and so rigid and how it has to be and your community has to adapt to you, then you really should not be in leadership. You should not be in front of students because that's not what it's about. And I know that there's a whole power and control thing that's embedded here in that, that space. You need to let go of that. If you let people co-construct with you, if you allow folks in, you'd be amazed as, as to what comes out. And so, you know, my work is always let's do this together because I don't know everything. And I live here and I still don't know everything. So what is it that you need to see differently? What is it that will work for you? You want that, that curriculum needs to change? Yeah, it does because I'm not seeing representation. So let's, let's fix that up. Our teachers need to have some professional learning here because they don't know everything either because they don't. Yeah, okay, yeah, we can do that. Our district leaders, yeah, guess what? You need to learn some and unlearn some things too. There's a lot of yeah. unlearning that needs to happen there. Amazing. How can our audience connect with you online, uh, be able to um, um, find you on social media? And any website or anything like that you'd like to share with them as well? Well, that's wonderful. I'm I'm on the Twitter. <laughs> uh, my handle is at kproctor1517. And if folks would like to email me, I am at kproctor.edu at gmail. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you all. This was wonderful. Thank you. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams, bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal through the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. Anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. 
On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.